Well, how are we doing today? Doing great? All right. Parker is excited. He's doing well. And uh, everybody else is uh, still trying to wake up. Well, uh, as Brother Wayne mentioned, we're in Matthew chapter 5, and so I want to encourage you. Uh, I know it'll be on my giant Jesus iPad up there, but we're just folks who love to have you in the Word of God yourself. And, uh, you know, anybody could throw something up on the screen, right? And uh, so when you look at it for yourself, you know what the truth is. Amen. And so i uh, love for you to just be camping out there with us uh, in Matthew chapter 5. Well, we're in this series called the Sermon on the Mount. Probably one of some of Jesus' most famous words. And um, these are teachings that are very familiar to some people and maybe not as familiar to some of us, depending on how you grew up, uh, whether you were uh, involved with the church or not. And so maybe it's, it's new to you. And, uh, but what Jesus is, is showing us here is how do kingdom people live? People who are my followers, people who are Christians, right? Because Jesus is a king, and a king has a kingdom, right? And a kingdom has a way of operating its principles, the way things work in the kingdom. And so he's showing them because there were a lot of people going around saying, hey, no, this is what God is like. This is the way uh, you should act. These are the things you should do. And those were simply man's ideas. Do you know what I'm talking about? A lot of people have opinions. Someone once said opinions are kind of like armpits. Everyone has one, and they all stink. Some of us have more than one. And, um, and so a lot of people have opinions, but what, how does God say we are to operate as his people, as kingdom people. And so uh, we've been saying it's sort of this idea that the world has been set wrong by sin and by Satan who has been uh, deceiving people throughout ages and, and throughout centuries. And Jesus is helping us see it set right. And so he's navigating this. He gives us the attitudes that uh, a kingdom citizen has and the Beatitudes there at the beginning of Matthew chapter five. Uh, he, he shows us um, that we are called to be salt and light. We are to shine the light in our world. And, and then he talks about uh, how he feels about the scripture, how he feels about the law and the Old Testament, that not one word of it would pass away. And he says, if you're going to be a kingdom person, your righteousness has got to exceed the Pharisees and the scribes, the most religious people of his time. He said, your, your righteousness has got to go deeper than that. Everybody's like, what? No way. Nobody could be as righteous as those guys. they got the fancy robes. they got stuff on their arms, their foreheads. They seem to do everything right. And he says, it's got to go a lot more than just skin deep. It's got to go a lot more than just outside appearance. It's got to go where? To your heart. And Christ impacts our heart first, and then it works its way outside of us. And so our righteousness comes from inside and works its way out. And so he gives us all these examples. Uh, he gives us an example of murder and anger. He gives us of lust, of divorce, of truth-telling. Uh, he talks about revenge, praying, all from the heart, fasting, serving, giving, worry, and anxiety, all from the heart, these next uh, pieces of, of Matthew. And so that's where we're going to be. But as we talk about today, how many of you uh, know that when somebody comes to you with a question, oftentimes they have an agenda? Do you know what I mean? Somebody comes to you with a question, and they have an agenda, you know? And oftentimes they did this to Jesus. They're like, hey, Jesus, how do you feel about Sometimes people want to ask me as a pastor, how do you feel about this issue or that issue? And, and they, they have an agenda they want to try to steer you towards. And sometimes our questions can reveal where we're going. And 
um, there are a lot better questions to ask sometimes. And this is where we find ourselves today. We find the Pharisees and these people who are uh, purporting to know God answering and giving false questions. I heard it was said of Albert Einstein that he said this. He said, when I have one week to solve a seemingly impossible problem, I spend six days defining the problem, defining the question. And then he says, the solution then seems obvious. Another writer said this, if, per, if, if people, if groups of people can get you asking the wrong questions, they don't have to worry about giving you the answers. And so sometimes like when we're trying to lose weight or we're trying to think about our health, some people say, should I eat this cookie or not? Right? Maybe that's not the struggle you have. That's the struggle I seem to have. And um, should I eat this cookie or not? But someone, someone once told me, he said, yo, flip the question and, and get a different perspective and ask yourself this. Ask yourself this, this question when you're talking about cookies. How will I feel after I eat this cookie? Now, that doesn't work for me because I'm like, I feel like I want a second cookie. That's kind of how I feel. And, um, you know, some people say, what's the quickest way I could lose weight? Some people say a better question is, how can I live a healthy lifestyle, right? Some people say, how can I get a boyfriend or a girlfriend? Someone says, you know what a better question is? Why does everyone think they need a girlfriend or a boyfriend? See how the, the question shifts our perspective, right? How can I get out of this job? Someone said a better question is, how can I live my life to the fullest and bloom where I'm planted? Someone says, how can I find more friends? Another person said, a better question is, how can you be a more loyal and faithful friend? Some people say, why am I going through this? The better question is, Lord, what can I learn from this? Sometimes in marriage we say, how can I change my spouse because they're irritating me? Someone says, a better question is, what am I grateful for in my spouse? How could I get more money? Someone says, a better question is, how could you be more content? Or how can I get more money? Someone says, a better question is, how can you save what you have? Some people say, why is my boss so mean? He's always messing with me and giving me more than I can do in the time allotted. Someone said, what can I learn from this situation? Why is my teacher so mean? And some of the children and students are praising God that uh, they're out of school. And some of you are in summer school and saying, Pastor, why you got to bring up scary things? Instead of saying, why is my teacher so mean? How about, how could I build a better relationship with my teacher? How could I perhaps show my teacher more respect? Someone says, why do I have so many problems? They said, a better question is this. What can I find to celebrate this week that God is blessing me with? You see how asking a different question shifts your perspective? We are, many of us are singing, God bless America, as we think about our country this week. Someone said a better question is, will America bless God? Do we have fun, right? How was school, we asked our kids, right? We ask us all these sorts of questions. And, and these religious leaders are coming to Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, right? And, and, and let's just pick up in the text here, right? We're in verse 31. Verse 31, they're coming to Jesus asking about divorce, and they're not asking outright here. In fact, he's bringing it up for them. But in Matthew chapter 19, which we're going to look at in a few minutes, he is uh, uh, being questioned about this. But these 
Pharisees are asking the wrong question. Look what it says here in verse 31. It says, it was also said, verse 31, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Translation, how can we get out of this marriage, right? And, and they're saying, hey, doesn't matter what happens in a marriage. Whoever divorces a wife, doesn't matter about the issues. As long as he gives a certificate, he's good to go. And these people are saying, I want to be godly. I want to appear godly. I want to appear religious. Tell me what, what I got to do to dump this fool and still appear godly and religious. And Jesus is saying, no, you have missed the heart of this. They were focusing on how can we get out. Someone once said, marriage is kind of like flies on a window. All the ones on the outside want to get in. And all the ones on the inside want to get out. Now, I don't think that's a very good idea of marriage, but that's what somebody has said. The reality is marriage is a struggle and things are difficult. And these people are saying, hey, look, we don't need a, a, a reason. We, we just need to get the certificate. Who cares about how this affected people? And so um, during this time, the Jews and, and in the surrounding culture, divorce was very common. It wasn't supposed to be. God had given them the rules and given them the instructions on how they were supposed to act, but it was, and people could divorce for almost any reason. Here are some examples. A husband could divorce his wife if she spoiled his dinner. A husband could divorce his wife if she went out in public with her head uncovered. A husband could divorce his wife if she talked with other men in the streets. I found this was interesting. A husband could divorce his wife if she was a brawler. And I thought, well, okay. I mean, I might get tired of getting beat up. Um, a husband could divorce his wife if she simply spoke disrespectfully to her husband or even about his parents. If she was troublesome or quarrelsome, a divorce could occur. And then as they looked at the scripture and they twisted the scripture because um, what they're referring to here, and we'll unpack this in a moment, comes from uh, a passage in Deuteronomy. And, and the Bible says, um, the, the phrase there is, is when she doesn't find favor in his sight. And some would say, oh, that means if he found a more attractive woman in his sight, she fell out of favor in his sight. And there is now another one who found favor in his sight. He could divorce her simply for that. And you see how they were missing the mark for what God had set in truth. Notice what he says in verse 32. What does he say? He says, so, so verse 31 says, it was also said her divorce wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But verse 32, he says, but I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. Jesus is saying, listen here, you need to understand the purity for which a marriage is designed. And then when you go outside of those bounds, it causes damage. If you would imagine, if I took two pieces of construction paper, I love to sometimes do this, right? And if I were to take two pieces of construction paper and glue them together, right? Y'all ready to do some math this morning? How many pieces of construction paper would I have? I would have one, right? The two have become one. Some of y'all were like, Oh, it's a trick question. Two, one, what is it going to say? Okay. 
I would glue them together and I would have one piece of construction paper made up of two parts, yes. Okay? But, but then let's say I was trying to pull that apart, right? You guys glued some construction paper together, right? I'm taking you back. And um, what happened if, if I started to pull that apart? Go, what would happen? Man, it would tear. And, and I'd have like white and pink here, right? And the Bible says that the two in marriage have become one, one unit, one team partners together and and to tear and to take my union and commit adultery sexual immorality and attach that to somebody else i have caused permanent damage to somebody else and to my spouse and so he's saying man you cannot get a divorce for all these other things and it's amazing that sometimes people would say and sometimes people have the idea that jesus jesus is a chauvinistic uh crazy person but we need to remember that in this day, what he's saying here is revolutionary. Wives and women were viewed as property. And all throughout history, women have been mistreated. They weren't viewed as a partner, as an equal. And anyone who says Jesus is chauvinistic hasn't really read the Bible for themselves. In fact, as we look at the cultural context around Jesus, it was a Greek-oriented society. And the historian A.W. Verrill said this, he said, one of the chief diseases from which ancient civilizations died from was a low view of women. Demosthenes, the Greek poet and historian, says this, men have three types of women in their lives. We have courtesans or prostitutes for the sake of pleasure. That's one. We have concubines for the sake of our daily cohabitation. And thirdly, we have wives only for the purpose of having children legitimately and having a guardian over our household affairs. That was the view of women in that day. And Jesus comes to turn that view right side up. They're treating these women as property, getting a divorce, and, and just leaving them destitute. In fact, the woman of respectable classes in Greece led a completely secluded life in this culture. She took no part in public life. She never appeared on the streets alone. She never even appeared at meals or social occasions. It was the aim, and this is the quote from the Greek writer, she might see as little as possible, hear as little as possible, and ask as little as possible. From the Greek historian Xenophon. And then Socrates is quoted as saying this, Is there anyone whom you entrust the, more, the most serious matters of your life than your wife? And on the opposite, is there anyone to whom you talk less? Man, that's crazy. But you know what? We can look back at those people and say, man, they were so crazy. They had it wrong. We're not too far off in, in 2019, are we? And the way we treat one another, and the way we treat marriage. In fact, it has been said that the marriage rate amongst supposed Christians and believers is the same as those who are not believers. And brothers and sisters, those of you who call yourself kingdom citizens, this should not be so. So what does he say here? Let's keep looking at the text here. And he goes on um, in, in verse 32. So he says, but I say to you, still in verse 32, but I say to you, I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the grounds of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. This is really revolutionary. He's putting marriage back in its proper perspective. Marriage is a big deal to God. Marriage should be a big deal to Christians who claim to follow him. 
Let's turn over, if you have your Bible, just flip over, uh, if you will, a couple of pages to Matthew 19, and he explains this a little more fully here, I think that will help us. And it unpacks this passage here to which they were saying, hey, we just need to get a certificate. We can get divorced for any reason. Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 9, gives us a little more uh, details here where Jesus speaks more fully on this. He says this, Matthew chapter 19, verse 3, And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him. Notice they're testing him, right? By asking, here's the question they're going to ask. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Right? They're trying to trick them. Notice how their question needs to be turned on its head, right? Is it lawful? In other words, what can I get away with and still appear religious? Sometimes couples will come to me. Very rarely will couples come to me for marriage counseling saying, Pastor, we're having a hard time. We really want to work it out. Help us fix this. Most of the time it's, Pastor, let me tell you how terrible this person is. Will you give me permission to break this off? Right? That's usually how it is. And, and, and our intent is laid bare. And notice what, what goes on. How does the response go? Verse 4, he answered, have you not read? Have you not read? He's taking them back to the Bible. That he who created male and female, and he said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast, or old school language is cleave, right? Leave and cleave, that's where that came from, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become what? Thank you. The two, are we, okay, are we sleeping? Are we still awake here? All right, the two shall become, y'all help me? One. Thank you. All right, I feel a lot better now. I was beginning to wonder. Okay, the two shall become one flesh. Verse 6. So they are no longer two, but one. Just in case we didn't get it the first time, right? Jesus is like, I got to help y'all. I'm trying to help y'all this morning so you won't go snoozing. All right? Watch this. And maybe you said this in your vows. This was said at your uh, marriage Sunday. What therefore God has joined together, let not who? Man separate. Verse 7. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate? There they are back on the certificate thing. Why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and then to send her away? And again, this is talking about a passage in Deuteronomy uh, where they was talking about that. And look what Jesus' response is. Notice that they said Moses commanded us, right? Moses commanded us to do this. And he says, you guys missed the mark. What is his response? Verse 8, but he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed, he gave you a concession to divorce your wives. But from when? From the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. He's saying it was a concession, not a command. And so people are getting divorced for all kinds of reasons, and this should not be. And you know what? In thousands of years, has a lot changed? Certainly hasn't. And to those who claim the name of Christ, we need to take marriage seriously because God takes it seriously. He says, my design, my intent from the beginning was that two would become one and it would be an unbreakable bond and they would ferociously love one another, displaying my glory. But people abuse that, right? And so, now, pastor, well, Jesus said adultery or sexual immorality is grounds for divorce. Should I get a divorce? That's what people often will come 
uh, and ask my counsel for, and I take them back to this passage and say, hey, from the beginning, God created you guys, man and woman, together for a lifetime. And no person, right, no person wants to get married standing there on their wedding day and saying, man, I hope this thing will break up in a couple years, right? No, they're together. They got stars in their eyes. They can't see any flaws. In fact, if you come to me for counseling for your marriage, I'm going to try to convince you not to get married. Because if I can do that, maybe it will save you some heartache later. And I'm going to work my hardest to say, no, this person has warts. Their breath stinks in the morning. They're going to roll the toilet paper the wrong way. They're going to load the dishwasher the wrong way. They're going to annoy you and grate on your nerves. They're going to have different opinions. And if you cannot deal with that and commit to loving them faithfully till death do you part, you're not ready to get married. And after I say all that, they're still going to look at him like, <laughs> she has no faults, Pastor. All right, well, the hormones have just taken over at this point, but I did my due diligence to try to wake you up, you know. It's like it happens. It happens to all of us. We have a moment of epiphany like in Bambi, right? You know, have you ever seen the movie Bambi? If not, go back and, and watch it, right? And all the guys, Bambi's homies are all like, we're never going to get married. It's, ew, it's gross, right? And then all of a sudden something changes in them, and then the little, the little skunk is walking by, and then he's like, boing. You know what they call it? Twitter pated. Twitter, not, 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 I know Twitter's a new thing now, okay, but before that came out, Twitter pated meant like your eyes just like in love. It's a moment of epiphany. It's like before I thought girls were disgusting, boys were disgusting, but now I was like, boing, and my eyes were like, oh, oh, I've got to have, I've got to have some love now. And, and then they just, they lose it, right? And then, you know, little Thumper, right? And uh, Thumper was hopping in the forest, and then he sees the cute little girl bunny, and she's like, wow. And then Thumper's like, and he just goes off the wrong way. He's like, I got to have that. And so God has called us not just to live in the excitement of our hormones and being Twitter-pated, but to continue faithful, listen to me now, covenant love throughout a lifetime. Let me tell you the difference between a contract and a covenant. I think we got a slide for that, I believe. Contract versus covenant. The Bible calls marriage a covenant covenant marriage because God is the one who makes covenants all throughout history he made a covenant with Noah made a covenant with Abraham and so and then he came and with Jesus made a new covenant but what's the difference between a contract and a covenant well a contract says this honey spouse sugar pie you do this and I'll do that or if I I'll do this if you do that and as soon as you don't uphold your end of the bargain, I'm out, right? That's a contract. You didn't fulfill your obligation. I'm relieved of the contract. A covenant, though, covenant is different. Covenant says, I do, period. That's it. Regardless of what you do or don't do, I will agree to love you faithfully for a lifetime. I don't care what you do. I am making this decision myself of my own free will. I do this, and I will choose to love you faithfully for a lifetime. That is covenant, because that's what God does for us. Amen? He says, I choose to love you faithfully, regardless of how you behave, regardless if you turn away from me, regardless if you lack faith, I will still love you with a covenant-type love. And so when people say, yes, there was an affair 
in my marriage, should we get a divorce? I'm going to say no, because God's heart is always for reconciliation. And you should work on reconciling that. And I'm telling you, I have seen God do it in some really, really difficult situations. I've seen him put back marriages. I've seen him put back trust where trust was was torched, burned, shredded, and atomic bomb exploded. I thought, man, there's no way I would trust that person. And God is able to reconcile and bring healing. Well, what happens if my, my, my spouse cheated on me and, and they left me and they got married to somebody else? Well, that would be like this, right? The two became one. One spouse said, I'll rip off you. And they went over here and they got married to this person. And they said, I left you, forget you. And now they've made a one flesh union here. You think God wants these people to like separate and then go back together? No, that'd be moronic, okay? God says you're not going to cause uh, further hurt and all that sort of uh, stuff right there. If they've already married, well, then that's a different story. Then you're free to seek God's will and what you should do. Well, Pastor, what about situations of abuse? Absolutely. Hear me clearly and do not misunderstand me. If your spouse is abusing you or you know the spouse abusing you, get them out of there and get them to safety as quickly as possible. Are you with me? Now, listen. Separation is not the same thing as divorce. Are you still with me? That person may be abusive, and, and, and God would not have you continue to be abused and be in an unsafe situation. But God would desire to see that relationship reconciled. What that timing is, I don't know. Gather people around you. Talk to me. Talk to the elders, all that sort of stuff. But do not continue to stay in an abusive situation. And don't, and don't be like, oh, pastor said, and you know, people have, have given all kinds of stuff, only adultery and, and abuse, you've got to stay. No, that's, that's crazy. God does not desire you to stay in a place where you're going to be harmed or hurt, right? So send your nasty emails to Brother Pete, okay? You heard it clearly from me, all right? You heard it clearly from me what the truth is. That's right, yes. Yep, his email is daniel.mackey. So it's about a covenant. All right, now this is related to the next set of verses here. And, and why is that related to the next set of verses? Let's just check out the next set of verses here as we're back, uh, flip back to Matthew chapter 5 is, is, is where we were, okay? And so this is related because these things are connected. Okay, verse 33, verse 33, he says, And again, uh, you have heard that it was said to those from old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn, right? And again, he's, he's making a quote. And then verse 34, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And so just pause there for a quick second. What, what is he saying here? He's saying, be a truthful person. When you make a promise, when you make an oath, stick to that. But what happens is, you know how my kids will do this, right? You ever did this when you were kids? But like, they do like one of these. I can't even do it, okay? Fingers crossed, and they're like, hey, um, so I promise I'll do the dishes if you let me go to my friend's house right now, right? You remember how that worked when you were a little kid, right? Or people got a hold of that, and they're like, I see your hand behind your back with your fingers crossed. That means I, I'm not, I don't have to keep my promise, right? Okay? Or sometimes, because people caught on to that when I was little, so sometimes they'll stand like this, right? They'll be like, hey, so I, I, pr I promise to do the dishes uh, later on when I come back from my friend's house, right? And he'd go, to, uh, no, my legs were crossed, right? You know how people do all kinds of crazy stuff like that? And Jesus is saying, be a person who is truthful in their heart. 
And, and what was happening back here in this cultural context is that people would swear and promise on these things, right? I swear by Jerusalem, right? And I would swear by heaven that I will pay you back. And Jesus is saying, do not take an oath at all. Because, man, the more grandiose your promise, the more I probably distrust you. And people have a, a reason to distrust. Do you ever have people that did stuff like that, right? No, no, I promise on my mother's eyes. I'm telling the truth, right? You're like, poor mom. Jeez, Liz. Why would you say something like that? But when people have to promise like that, right, they're, they're, they're showing you, if you got to make that kind of promise like that, they're showing you they are untrustworthy. And Jesus is simply saying, let your yes be your yes and your no be your no. Live a, a promise-keeping life. You don't have to swear on this. Now, is Jesus saying, because uh, sometimes I have people ask me, in fact, uh, and they miss, again, the, the heart of the law, because in verse 34, he's saying, do not take an oath at all. And so I had a, a teenager one time and say, I'm not taking any oaths. I won't take an oath in a court, right, because I, say, I swear to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, right? The, the president and congressman, they have to place their hand on the Bible and swear to hold the Constitution. Um, even people getting married. In fact, this guy's married. I remember this guy exactly uh, because he's like, I'm never getting married, Pastor, because it says don't take an oath, right? So I'm not going to take an oath and say I do. And I'm like, bro, you're missing the point of the text. That's not what Jesus is saying. Don't ever take an oath. He's saying let you, you don't have to make this grandiose promise. Just say, yes, I do. That's it. So it, it isn't hard. Just keep your word. Look at the rest of the text there, right? Don't swear. Uh, stay in verse 34. But I say to you, don't um, but I say to you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Sometimes, and this is what was going, this was their finger crossing. They would say, Hey, I swore to you by Jerusalem, I swore to you by this, and so I don't have to repay that because that's not God's. If I swear by God, right? I would have to pay that back. It's kind of like that. Hey, don't cuss. You're in church. Hey, don't cuss, period, right? God's everywhere. You think, like, he can only see you in church? Like, his Google Maps only works right here? It's like, oh, can't see you out there on Rosemont Road, you know, a few blocks away. This is covered by something there. You know? No, God sees all things. And so people were saying, they're saying, God is so huge. If you swear on something, God owns it. God owns the earth. God owns Jerusalem. And that's what Jesus is saying. He clarifies, right? In the next verse, verse 34, or by the earth, for it is the footstool, or in Jerusalem, for it is the city of the king. That's what Jesus is saying. Then verse 36, and do not take an oath by your own head. So he goes from the greatness of God to the smallness of us, right? Do not take an oath by your head. For you cannot make one hair white or black. Some of you are like, you don't know me, Pastor. I go every couple of weeks to get that taken care of. All right, listen. But you, you, you can't, from the DNA level, change it, all right? Some of you are like, okay, well, this genetic engineer, I'm going to figure it out. You understand the point, right? Verse 37, let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything else comes from the evil one. So let me ask you. Some of you say, that's not that hard, Pastor. That's pretty simple, right? Just keep your word. Well, have you kept all your promises? Just sit there for a second. Let that just help you. Have you kept all your promises? You promised to pay your bill on time? Have you? Oh, oh, no, Pastor, don't go there. Don't go there. Hey, when you when you sign the credit card contract, that's what you're saying to do. When you sign the receipt, when you sign the digital little screen that never works and the pen's always busted, you're you're promising to pay that on time. All right. Just letting you know. 
You promised these things. You promised. And so let your yes be your yes. And you know, be a person who is pure from the heart and keeping their promises. Why? Why is this so important, you say? What's the big deal about a little white lie? What's the big deal about marriage? Is because all of this reflects who God is. Do you see what I'm saying? Marriage is not just for us, but marriage is a picture of heaven. Marriage is a picture of the gospel. In the book of Ephesians, in the Bible, the apostle Paul is talking about husbands do this, wives do this, and he's giving instructions for marriage. And then God says this in Ephesians chapter 5. We'll put it on the screen. Ephesians 5, 32, it says this. This mystery is profound. Is he talking about love and marriage? No, he says this mystery is profound. And what I'm saying that it refers to what? Christ and the church. Every marriage is a picture of the gospel. And when we commit to faithfully loving someone, a sinful person, for a lifetime, regardless of what they do or don't do, for better or for worse, for richer or poorer, we are displaying a picture of heaven. We're displaying an oath-keeping, a covenant-keeping God. And every day that we love our spouses ferociously and stay committed to them faithfully, we are preaching the gospel. Every marriage preaches the gospel whether you use words or not. And every divorce screams, God is not real. Every divorce screams, God won't love you if you mess up. He has a time, he, he, he will get rid of you if you don't do things right. That's why the Bible says God hates divorce. Now some of you, many of you in here have been divorced and you're dealing and wrestling with guilt and I'm not here to wrestle uh, and, and heap guilt upon you. What has happened in the past has happened in the past. Receive God's mercy for a new day. What we're talking about right now is the folks that are married right now. And, and if your spouse is still alive, you haven't reconciled, well then yeah, God is speaking to you. But for the folks who are married today and the folks who are single and will be married one day, you need to understand the covenant faithfulness to which God has called us to. Amen? In fact, the Bible gives us this picture that, that, that God and Christ are the husband and we are the bride. And we're often an unfaithful bride. But the Bible says God loves us as an unfaithful, adulterous bride. A, a, a bride who has committed adultery and loved other lovers. That language is used all throughout the Old Testament. In fact, God, God wrote a book, the prophet Hosea. And he, and he was to marry a prostitute. To marry an adulterous woman and to continue to pursue her. And they had children. In fact, the book ends with this one who continues to leave Hosea. She continues to leave Hosea, and he goes back, and he forgives her, and he loves her. And, and, and God is saying, this is how I love my people, that even though they fail, even though they mess up, I will continue to take them back. And then what happens is the last lover, she has sold herself into slavery. And so she's not even free to get out. You know what Hosea does? He has to go and purchase her. And so he takes Instead of just saying, that's what you get, you nasty, filthy woman, he spends his money at, at his expense, at his cost. He buys her back because that's how he loves her. And ladies and gentlemen, that's how God loves you and I. We have been slaves to sin, and God paid the highest price. He sent Jesus on the cross to pay the penalty so that you and I can get out of the shackles of sin and under. Uh, from Satan's rule and control when we trust him through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's why marriage is so important. In fact, I want to close with these last two scriptures. In the book of Ezekiel, it says this. In Ezekiel 16, we'll put it on the screen. It says, For thus says the Lord God, 
I will deal with you as you have done. You who have despised the oath in breaking the covenant. His people broke the covenant. In the next verse, he says, yet I, yet I will remember my covenant with you because I promise to do this regardless of what you did, right? I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish you for an everlasting covenant. Verse 61, then you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you take your sisters, both your elder or your younger, and I give them to you as daughters, but not on account of it. The covenant is with you. And in verse 62, he says, I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Verse 63, that you may remember and be confounded and never open your mouth again because of your shame when I atone for all, for all that you have done, declares the Lord. And then 2 Timothy in the New Testament, chapter 2, verse 13 says, if we are faithless, he remains what? Faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Every marriage bears witness to the truth of the gospel. And that's why we are called as believers to continually to love our spouses. So whether you're single or married today, whatever your past is, know this. Whatever's gone on in your relationship, know this. There is a covenant-keeping God who has said, I choose you. Regardless of how bad you have messed up, I still do. And I haven't moved. In fact, I've been pursuing you all of your life. Would you turn and embrace a relationship with me? And that's what it means to be a Christian. We've all blown it. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we turn our eyes today, not to ourselves. And if you're trying to make your marriage work, can I tell you, sir or ma'am, you will not be able to make it work in your own strength. It will be the love of Christ that overflows from you into your spouse because they will, they will disappoint you. They will not ultimately satisfy you, but it will be the love of Christ that allows you to love an imperfect person with an agape Christ-like love. So we're going to move into a time of response, time for us, as Brother Wayne said, to, to, to think about the Word of God and, and to meditate on it, but then to think about how we're going to obey it. Amen? So let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll move into our response time. Father, thank you that you keep your covenant, Lord, regardless of what we do or don't do. Thank you that you're a faithful God even when we are faithless. And, Lord, I pray for marriages in here, for those who are married, God, that Every believer in this place would realize, God, their marriage is painting a picture. Their marriage is testifying. How they treat their spouse, their husband, their wife, day in and day out, is testifying to the gospel and preaching the gospel every day. So for the married people, I pray, God, you would increase a burning love in us. Not, not, not just a youthful, Twitter-painted kind of love. And I thank you for the many examples. As, as I heard about some of our members here celebrating 63 our plus years just this past week, Lord. We thank you for that great example of the gospel, Lord, that they have. We see in many of our elders here in this church. And for the single people, Lord, this is not just a message for those who are married. Some, you're going to call to stay single. I don't know. And the, 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 the reality still remains. How will we keep our covenant? How will we keep our covenant to those in this body of covenant membership at a church? How are we loving them? How are we staying faithful there? How are we being faithful to the friends you have placed in our lives? How are we keeping the oaths and promises we have made? And if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Christ, a personal relationship with Christ, you may have heard about Christ, you may have heard about God and say, yes, I, I, I've heard about him, but I don't know him personally. We'd love to help you navigate that door in this time, this time of response and invitation. 
We'd love to help you get that relationship with Jesus Christ. Sin. It would be very simple. It would be turning from your sins. Turning from the things you love, the other lovers, and simply turning back to God and receiving the free gift of eternal life, the free gift of salvation he wants to offer you, that he paid for you to have. You could do that right there in your seat. Even as you just talk to God in your heart, that's all prayer is. Maybe you would say something like this just in the quietness of your heart. You would say, dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I'm a sinner. God, I have turned away from you. You know it. I've turned away from you. You know it. I'm admitting that I've been wrong. But right now, I turn back to you. I trust you with my life. I believe that you died on the cross. And I believe that you rose from the grave. Help me, Jesus, to follow you all the days of my life. that prayer resembles the condition of your heart. There's no magic words that can save you or bring you into a relationship with Christ. It's simply the condition of your heart. He stands at the door ready to receive you. If that reflects your heart and you pray that honestly and sincerely, you can rejoice that you're now a citizen of the King. You're now a child of God. And we'd love to celebrate with you. You can put that on your connection card. During this time of response, you can come down and let myself, one of our elders, know we'd love to celebrate with you. Father, we pray you be glorified and lifted up through us this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.